Good morning, church family. It's good to see you guys uh, joining, worshiping with us at Restoration Baptist Church. We're looking forward to what God has for us in His Word this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Judges. We've been there for the past couple of weeks. We're going to be there this morning. Turn to the book of Judges, chapter 7. And again, it is good to see you on this July 4th weekend. Hope you guys have been celebrating uh, the independence of America these past couple of days. And we are excited to be with you guys this morning. So Judges, chapter 7. This past couple of weeks, we started a a brand new sermon series called Hall of Fame. And and we got this name from uh, Hebrews chapter 11. This is a book in the Bible, and the chapter is uh, chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11. And in this chapter, in the book of Hebrews, it lists kind of the famous Bible characters of of the Bible throughout Scripture. And uh, so we've been looking at that, and we're looking at one life in particular that's listed in the Hall of Fame of Hebrews chapter 11, and that is Gideon. And the reason his life is so interesting and I think uh, really, really compelling is because his life is so much like ours. It's not like these other guys like Moses where they just did all these great things. They were amazing people. Uh, you see, Gideon was a guy that had a lot to learn. He had a long distance to go. He was uh, he was just a normal guy. And so that's what we see from the life of Gideon in Judges chapter 7. Gideon started off as a simple farmer. Wasn't some big guy. Didn't have a great name. He started off as a simple farmer. He was living a simple life. He was just doing what he did day in and day out, which was totally fine with him, I imagine. He was just living his life as a farmer, enjoying his life, until one day the angel of God came to Gideon and told him, hey, you're going to be my guy. You're going to be the one who leads Israel out from under the aggravation and oppression of the neighboring countries around Israel, the Midianites specifically. The Midianites during this time were aggravating and attacking uh, Israel on a continual basis. And so the angel of God came to Gideon and said, you're my guy. You're going to be the guy who leads the Israelites out from under the aggravation of the Midianites. And so this is what happens to uh, this is what happens to Gideon. Again, he's just a farmer. He's he's no one special. The angel of God didn't go to some great guy. He went to a little farmer. He wasn't mil- he wasn't a military leader. He wasn't a tactician or a fighter. So so it kind of seems odd that God chose him, right? Because God is essentially saying to Gideon, "You're going to be my military leader to lead Israel out from under the oppression of the Midianites." Yet he chooses Gideon, who is a simple farmer, not a military leader. Had nothing. He had he had no no knowledge of uh, military leadership. Yet God chooses him. And it gets odder still, because the first thing you would think that God would tell Gideon to do is some great feat, some great act to prove himself as a military leader. But what God tells him to do, first and foremost, is to go to the idols that are on his father's property, his property, and to tear them down. And the garden surrounding the idols, tear that down as well. Had nothing to do with, with military leadership, had nothing to do with fighting a battle. But this is what the angel tells him to do. So this is what Gideon does. And after this, God tells Gideon, after he's, he's knocked down the idols, after he's uh, tore down the, the, the garden surrounding the idols, he tells Gideon, go gather an army. So now we're getting somewhere, right? He tells Gideon, go gather an army. And so Gideon gathers an army of uh, 30,000 men, a lot of men, right? You think this is, this is, this is a good start. Now, obviously, the, the, the enemy army was much bigger than Gideon's army. The enemy army, Midianite army, was 135,000 strong against 
Gideon's 30,000. And so you would think that God would tell Gideon, good job, you got 30,000, you have a long way to go though, let's even the odds a little bit, keep recruiting. But that's not what God tells Gideon. He says, you have too many in your army. Not that you have too little, he says to Gideon, you have too many in your army. Even though it's 30,000 versus 135,000, God says, what I want you to do is cut down your army. So Gideon cuts down the army, uh, down, he cuts it down 20,000 soldiers. So now he only has around 10,000 left. He goes to God, he tells God, this, God, this is, this is uh, how many I've cut down. I've cut down 20,000, we have 10,000 left. God says, it's still too many. Cut it down even more. So Gideon cuts down the army to 300 soldiers. They're not even really soldiers. They're just dudes that were, for, uh, that were farmers with pitchforks. They didn't know anything about military warfare. 300 guys. And so this is where we left off Gideon last week. He's there with his 300 men, and he is waiting for God to tell him what to do next because he is perplexed. You can't fight 300 against 135,000. And so that's where we leave off in verse number nine. Look at Judges chapter seven in verse number nine. And it came to pass the same night, the same night that Gideon dwindled his army down to 300, that the Lord said unto him, Gideon, arise, get thee down unto the host, for I, for I have delivered it into thine hand. So this is it. This is the big moment. This is the moment that Gideon has been dreading and waiting for. This is the moment these past two weeks have led up to. This is the, the same evening Gideon cut down his army to 300. God told Gideon that this was the evening he would go after the Midianites. He was going to attack the enemy and God was going to give him the victory. So God tells Gideon, tonight's the night. It's game time, essentially. Look what happens next. Verse number 10. And God says, but if you fear to go down, go thou with Phura, thy servant down to the host, the enemy host, and thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then, then went he down with Fura, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. So, so okay, so God told Gideon, tonight is the night. Tonight's the night we're going to win. Tonight's the night we're going to fight. Tonight's the night you're going to get victory. But if you are still afraid to fight, Gideon, that's what God's telling Gideon, if you're still afraid to fight, what I want you to do is that I have a quick plan to help you with that. God told Gideon, if you're afraid, take your friend and sneak to the outskirts of the Midianite army and just listen to what they have to say. Just listen to what the enemy is saying about you, Gideon. That's all you have to do. Okay. Obviously, this is very thoughtful of God. Gideon's afraid. God's trying to help him out. Gideon's, uh, God's trying to throw Gideon a bone. He's trying to make it so he's encouraging him a little bit. But why does God choose of all things, to encourage Gideon by sending him to the outskirts of the enemy army. I mean, you think about it. God could have encouraged Gideon in a number of ways, in an infinite number of ways. He could have done another miracle. He could have done another sign. He could have done some great thing. And yet God tells Gideon, I want to encourage you, but the way I'm going to do it is to send you to the camp of the enemy, and you're going to listen to them. Why does God do this? Of all the ways God could have encouraged and strengthened and gave Gideon courage, he does it in the most odd way. Of all the places God could have told him to go to find courage, why there? Why didn't God just perform some more miracles like he'd been doing? So to answer this question, we have to answer another question first. And that question is, why is Gideon afraid in the first place? Why is Gideon afraid in the first place? God wanted to help Gideon with his fear, but why was Gideon afraid? Why was Gideon afraid? Gideon's afraid. I'll tell you why. 
because there's no clear way to win. Okay, so check it out. Put, let's put all these things together. Gideon, he's put together an army of 30,000 men. God tells him to cut it down. He cuts it down to 10,000. You can't win with 10,000. You couldn't win with 30,000. God tells him to cut it down again. He cuts it down to 300 men. You can't win with 300 men against 135,000 men. And so he had lost over 29,000 men. The enemy had lost no men. They weren't cutting down their army. If anything, they were building it up. So sure, God had showed him signs. Maybe you're thinking, well, God showed him signs. Sure, God showed him signs. He made a, a dry blanket wet. He made a wet blanket dry. That isn't really... It's not really encouraging. It doesn't really let you know that you're going to win a great battle over 135,000 men. And before that, Gideon, all he did was knock down an idol and, and hear from the angel of God. So really, what has Gideon accomplished? No, 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 really. What has Gideon really accomplished to bring him closer to victory? He has 300 men. That's it. He has no closer to victory now than he was when the angel of God first came to him. And this is why Gideon is afraid, because he knows, logically and humanly speaking, there's no way for him to win. He's, he's seen some signs from God. He's cut down an idol in, in a garden. He's, he's got 300 men. That is nothing compared to 135,000 men. So God told Gideon to go undercover to the enemy camp to find encouragement, because he's afraid. He's afraid because of everything he's done so far, he's still going to lose. It has amounted to nothing in Gideon's eyes what he has done so far. Look at verse number 13 and 14. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, behold, I dreamed a dream and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay long. And his fellow answered and said, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. Okay, so Gideon goes undercover to the outskirts of the enemy camp and listens to what the people are saying about him. At the moment he's listening in, a man tells his friend that he's had a dream. One of the enemy men, one of the enemy soldiers in this camp, he tells his friend, I just had a dream. And his dream is kind of a weird dream. It's not really important. The point is the interpretation of the dream. The interpretation of that dream, that man was saying was, the interpretation of this dream is Gideon's going to come into our camp. The same Gideon that has God on his side. You know, the, the same Gideon that is the son of Joash. The same Gideon that we've heard so much about these past couple of days and weeks. That same Gideon, we are afraid of him. He is coming down here. The same Gideon we've heard of. He's coming down here. He's going to destroy all of us. And this is the dream and the interpretation of the dream that Gideon heard while he was in the enemy camp. They knew God was on Gideon's side. They knew the same God, the same God who destroyed Egypt. And the enemy believed they didn't stand a chance against Gideon. What's the point? This, this event showed Gideon very clearly. and shows us very clearly that everything Gideon had done so far, had made a difference. He just didn't know it. You see, in Gideon's eyes, he's thinking, I have 300 men. I can, I'm going to lose. God showed me a couple signs. So what? I've knocked down an idol. So what? That hasn't brought me any close. All of these things I've done in the past, these past couple days, they haven't led me any closer to victory. And yet you see that everything Gideon had done in the eyes of his enemy, they were thinking, whoa, look at everything Gideon's done. We're going to lose. You see, what looks meaningless becomes God's masterpiece. 
Gideon needed to see that everything he had done that seemed meaningless and pointless was actually necessary to have victory. When Gideon blew a trumpet, tore down an idol, laid a blanket out overnight and gathered a tiny army, you see, he was actually preparing for his own victory. All the things he had done those previous couple of days and weeks was preparing him for this very evening. He just didn't realize it. You see, don't be discouraged about the little things you do that seem to make no difference in your life, that seem to be meaningless. You're actually preparing for something God wants to do in your life. What you think is meaningless, what looks meaningless, becomes God's masterpiece. You see, all those things that you're doing in your life that you think have no meaning, God is saying, I am making a masterpiece from those things, from those disparate pieces and events in your life. I am bringing together a masterpiece. It's like, um, it's like, it's like me trying to learn how to cook eggs. So I, I don't make that good of eggs. And, and if you've had my eggs before, you know this. So what I like to do, I, I think of the, the easiest way to, to make eggs is you put out your pan, you crack a couple of eggs, you put them in the pan and, uh, and you, you scramble them up and you, 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 you put them on your plate after you're done scrambling them up and, uh, you put some, you put some salt on those eggs. And there you go. Only I've learned that that's, that's, that's a horrible way to make eggs. I've learned that, that, that that's, I, when I make eggs, they turn out nasty. It essentially tastes like salty garbage. But the only thing I've noticed is that when my wife makes eggs, they're like the best eggs I've ever had. There's one place in the world that I know of that makes better eggs than my wife. And here's why. You see, when I make eggs, I throw the eggs into the pan, I cook them, I put salt on them, and I eat them. But what my wife does, as she takes those same eggs, she cracks them, puts them in a bowl, and then she gets some shredded cheese, puts it into the eggs with it. Then she gets a little bit of milk, pours that in it. Maybe you're thinking, oh, shredded cheese, milk. these are weird things to put in eggs. Oh, follow me. And then she, she whips it all up. And then she gets some basil, some oregano, some black pepper, some other spices, and then finally some salt whips all that up, gets the pan hot, then pours it in there, and then continues to stir the eggs and, and kind of flip them over each other until they're nice and warm and firm. And then she puts them on the plate. And those eggs are 1,000 times better than the eggs I make. Why? Because she adds all these little things to the egg mix. She does all these little techniques to the eggs that by themselves seem odd, right? But when they're all put together, it makes the best eggs you've ever tasted in your life. And I think it's the same thing with life. You see, God is putting all of these little ingredients into our life. He's adding something here. He's adding something there. He's whipping something up that doesn't always feel good, but he's putting stuff in our lives. And, and when we look at all of those disparate things that God is doing to our life and God is putting in our life, we say, no, none of these things make sense. These things seem meaningless. These things don't seem to make a difference. Yet when they are all put together, you see God builds a masterpiece. You see, God's putting together something that is amazing, something that's unique and unusual. You can't always see the result of the days and the weeks and the months and the years of your efforts. 
going to church, raising the kids, putting time into prayer and Bible reading, sacrificing for your family, speaking out when it's unpopular, serving your spouse, giving to a friend, helping someone in need. You can't always see the end result of all of these little things you do in your life. You may even feel like the efforts don't make a difference. You may think they're small and insignificant. You may question why you're even trying. But if you could see what God sees, you'd see that those small, insignificant things change everything. When they're all put together, God's building a masterpiece. You see, everything in you're, doing, you're doing in your life right now that seems meaningless, seems, seems like it isn't making a difference, keep doing it because God's using it. Just like Gideon, he's looking at all the things that God had him do. Look at all the things the angel of God had him do. Cut his army down from 30,000 to 30. That makes no sense. Yet God was working a masterpiece. You have, I don't know if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings before. I talk about Lord of the Rings all the time. But there's one quote that Gandalf makes to someone that I just love. He says this. He says this about good and evil. He says, Saruman believes it is only great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I've found. I have found it is the small, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. Small acts of kindness and love. You see, this is what God is teaching us today. Everything we're doing in our life that's small, that seems meaningless, God is using that, and He will use it. He'll use it to give us victory. So this is what Gideon learned. And that, that evening at that enemy's camp, he learned that everything he was doing these past couple of days they weren't meaningless. They were meaningful. They were, they were actually bringing him closer to victory, although he couldn't see it. Everything he had been doing, small though it was, had made a difference at pushing back at the enemy. This is what God does through us and our family and our responsibilities and the life he's called us to. Look at Luke chapter 16 and verse number 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. You see, your little bit makes a difference. So what is it that you need to embrace that seems meaningless? What is it that you need to embrace that seems meaningless? What is it you need to say, this does not seem important, but I believe God is going to use it in my life? This is what Gideon learned. But look what happened next in verse number 15, because this is also important. Look at what happens next. Judges chapter 7, verse number 15. And it was so... When Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. So after Gideon heard the dream and the interpretation, he worshipped God. God used the enemy, God used the enemy to show Gideon that he was right where he needed to be. He was right where he needed to be all along, doing exactly what he needed to be doing. Gideon worshipped and gave thanks to God for everything he had done. From this moment of worship and thanksgiving and reflection, Gideon was empowered to continue. He was empowered to go back to his men and say, arise, let's go and let's keep going. You see, it's from this moment where Gideon, he looks back on his life and he sees that all of it was God putting something together, God putting a masterpiece together. When he reflected on it and he worshiped God and he gave thanks for that, that's when he becomes empowered. That's when he's encouraged. That's when he's strengthened to keep going. That's when he's empowered to say to his men, arise, let's get up, let's go. See, this is, that's when it happens. What's the point? The point is when we look back 
we're empowered to look forward. When we look back at everything God's done in our life, we're empowered to look forward. When we look back at everything God's done, we can look forward. We're empowered to look forward to what God has next in our life. When we spend time thanking God and worshiping God for everything He's done and everything He is doing and everything He has accomplished in our life, it gives us courage to look forward to what's next. See, it's, it's like when you go hiking and you're climbing up a steep hill and it just, it's just miserable. You just want to stop. You want to say, I'm done. Let's go back. But you keep going. You keep hiking when you're climbing up the steep hill. And it's just, you, you, you're trudging along. You're just trying to put one foot in front of the other. other. And you're just, trying to, you're just trying to get done with it. And then you come to a plateau area. And you stop for a second to catch your breath. And when you stop to catch your breath, you can look down for a second. And you see the trail as it winds down. And you think to yourself, I was just on that same trail way down there just a few minutes ago. And look at how far I've come. And when you look back, it empowers you, it strengthens you, it it gives you courage to look forward, to move forward. It's the same thing in the Christian life. It's the same thing in life in general. You see, when we look back, we take some time to, to reflect on our life, to reflect on how far we've come. You know what we'll see? We'll see, whoa, look at how far I've come. Look at what God's done. Look at what God's accomplished. And it empowers us, empowers us to look forward to what God has in the future. You see, reflection, reflection is a lost art. Introspection is something we need in our life and in our world. The ability to look back and say, this is who I used to be. This is what I used to do. This is where I used to be. And this is how far God's taken me. You see, this is what we need in our lives. This is what we need in our country. This is what we need in our marriage. This is what we need in our parenting. To look back. This is where our relationship was. Look at where it is now. This is where our country was. Look at where it is now. This is where my children were. This is where I was. But look at how far we've come. Let me encourage you this morning. In the moments you are discouraged about the future, remember what God's done in the past. What are you afraid to face in this season of your life? What's hindering you from moving forward spiritually or relationally? Look back on what God has done in your past. Reflect on how far you've come. Look back and give thanks. Look back into worship. Often, this is where you find courage. When we look back, we reflect and look at all the things God's done. It gives us courage. It empowers us to move forward. Sometimes it's hard to see God's pattern for our future. So look back at God's pattern in your past. See, that gives you courage. It's when we reflect on how far we've gone that we're inspired to go further. This is what Gideon learned for the first time when he heard the enemy speaking about him. He was given courage, and he worshiped God as a result. And he was able to go back to his men and say, Arise. Now, look at verse number 16. And he, Gideon, divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. Odd, right? So it's time for battle. And Gideon is encouraged. He's ready to fight. He's, he's, he's gung-ho. He's ready to say, let's go. We're going to fight these guys. This is his strategy. He divides his 300 men into three companies. So I assume 100 men each, three companies. And he gives each of his men a, a trumpet, a pitcher, and a lamp. They didn't have weapons. They didn't have superior weapons. They didn't have experience. They didn't have superior technology. They didn't have weapons, period. And so what they had was lamps, pitchers, and trumpets. 
So Gideon gives every man a trumpet, a pitcher, and a lamp. You couldn't kill anybody with these items. You barely do any of them harm. But you can have a ruse. You could use them as a ruse. Now look at verse number 20. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place around the camp. And all the host, the enemy, ran and cried and fled. And the 300 blew the trumpets. And the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout the host. So on Gideon's mark, all 300 men blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, and they held up their lamps and started shouting. This ruse would make it look like the enemy was completely surrounded by Gideon's men, and it would make it sound, break the pitchers, it would make it sound like a sound of war, and you blow the trumpet, make it sound like there's a charge, you held up your lamps, it would make it look like many, many thousands of men are coming at you in the middle of night in this, in the surprise of darkness, and, and their gambit worked. You see this in verse number 20, 21, 20. Their gambit worked. The trumpets, the lamps, the shouting, and the broken pitchers made it sound and look as though there were hundreds of thousands, not 300, coming after them. And the Midianites were caught completely off guard. And the Bible says they were so surprised and confused and scared that they started fighting each other in their own camp and they fled the camp with a lamp, a pitcher, a trumpet, and a shout. Gideon's 300 conquered. 135,000. What's the point? With God, your little has no limit. With God, your li- you may have just a little, but God uses whatever's available to him. Even if it's just a little, God can stretch that little bit to accomplish his purposes. You know, I've seen people with the most random and what seems to me small gifts and talents, and those people were used by God in the church. Those people are used by God in a magnificent way. Many people think to themselves, I can't do what someone else is doing because, well, I don't have their talents. I don't have this, that, and the other thing. What little bit do you have, though? God can use that. What do you have? With that, God can change everything. You see, when God spoke to Moses at the the burning bush, Moses didn't want to go back to Egypt to free his people. He didn't believe he was enough. He believed he had a, a speech impediment, a speech problem. You know what God asked him? He said, he, said he, asked, he asked Moses, what do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? I know what you don't have, Moses. What do you have? Moses says, I have my shepherd's staff, essentially a walking stick. And God says, that's all you need. You know, with that same little shepherd's staff, that walking stick, God was able through that walking stick to, to rain down fire from heaven, to cause darkness to fall upon Egypt for days, to split an ocean with that one walking stick. What do you have in your hand? What is in your hand this morning? What is it that you think is just little, just insignificant, doesn't make a difference? God will use that because your little with God has no limit. You see, remember the story of Jesus? When the Pharisees caught the woman in adultery and they brought that woman to Jesus and all these men were, all these Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, the law tells us that we should stone this woman. Jesus, what do you say? You remember that story when Jesus, he sees this woman caught in adultery, guilty, and he, 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 he sits down in the ground. He kneels down in the ground. He starts, he takes his hand. He starts to make drawings in the sand. He starts to write in the sand. And one by one, those Pharisees walked off with just a drawing in the sand. With just drawing some figures, some letters, some words in the sand, God saved this one woman's life. You see, with, with a walking stick, with just some sand drawings, 
God can change everything. Your little has no limit. Whatever it is you think, it's too little for God to use. It's too little to make a difference. With God, that little has no, has no limit. See, this is what we need to learn this morning. If God can use a walking stick and some sand drawings, I think you're just fine. I think God can use you as well. So I saw this cooking show years ago um, where these, these contestants on this cooking show, they, they were only able to use a certain amount of ingredients and items to make a certain dish. And they were given the, the worst items. I mean, like they, some of them were given gummy bears. Some of them were given uh, jalapeno peppers. So they're just random ingredients, right? And from these random ingredients, just a few, they were supposed to make a certain dish, the best dish that they could think of. And so the, all these contestants, they, they work on, and they're famous chefs, right? They work on their particular dishes with the, with, with the ingredients they have, the weird, odd, unusual uh, ingredients they had. And at the, at the end of that particular segment, the, the contestants, they, they brought their dish to the, uh, to the, to the, to the people who were, who, were, uh, who were trying to look to see who was the best, the judges. And so these men bring their dishes to the judges, and these judges... They look at these dishes and they're just magnificent dishes. These chefs were able to create with, with just a few ingredients and disparate ingredients at that. They were able to create magnificent dishes. That's what God does with our lives. Sometimes it lo- we look at our life and say, there's all these odd, unusual, disparate pieces of my life. How could they ever amount to anything? And yet those are the very things that God uses to create his masterpiece, to create the dish that he's been wanting to make through your life. If only we would let him. If only we would see that our little has no limit with God. If only we would see that if we reflect and we thank God and we worship God for what he's done, it will empower us and give us courage for the future. You see, and that's our decision this morning. We can come to God and say, my little has no limit with you. So here it is. Here's my little. I'm giving it to you. Use it because it can make a difference. That is our decision this morning. Will you make it? Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the story from from Gideon's life. And I pray that we would see this morning that victory does not go to the greatest, the strongest, the bravest. It goes to those who allow God to use their little bit, whatever is in our hand. To those who will look back and worship and reflect and thank God for what he's done in our past. 